passages ninety six through one hundred and one of reflections on the formation and distribution of wealth by anne robert jacques turgot translated by nicholas de condorcet this librivox recording is in the public domain ninety six the interest of the money is not disposable in one sense viz so as the state may be authorized to appropriate without any inconvenience a part to supply its wants but it does not ensue that they are of the disposing class in such a sense that the state can appropriate to itself with propriety a portion for the public wants those one thousand crowns are not a retribution which culture or commerce bestows gratuitously on him that makes the advance it is the price and the condition of this advance independently of which the enterprise could not subsist if this retribution is diminished the capitalist will withdraw his money and the undertaking will cease this retribution ought then to be inviolable and enjoy an entire immunity because it is the price of an advance made for the enterprise without which the enterprise could not exist to encroach upon it would cause an augmentation in the price of advances in all enterprises and consequently diminish the enterprises themselves that is to say cultivation industry and commerce this answer should lead us to infer that if we have said that the capitalist who had lent money to a proprietor seemed to belong to the class of proprietors this appearance had somewhat equivocal in it which wanted to be elucidated in fact it is strictly true that the interest of his money is not more disposable that is it is not more susceptible of retrenchment than that of money lent to the undertakers in agriculture and commerce but the interest is equally the price of the free agreement and they cannot retrench any part of it without altering or changing the price of the loan for it imports little to whom the loan has been made if the price decreases or augments for the proprietor of lands it will also decrease and augment for the cultivator the manufacturer and the merchant in a word the proprietor who lends money ought to be considered as a dealer in a commodity absolutely necessary for the production of riches and which cannot be at too low a price it is also as unreasonable to charge this commerce with duties as it would be to lay a duty on a dunghill which serves to manure the land let us conclude from hence that the person who lends money belongs properly to the disposable class as to his person because he has nothing to do but not as to the nature of his property whether the interest of his money is paid by the proprietor of land out of a portion of his income or whether it is paid by an undertaker out of a part of his profits designed to pay the interest of his advances ninety seven objection it may doubtless be objected that the capitalist may indifferently either lend his money or employ it in the purchase of land that in either case he only receives an equivalent for his money and whichever way he has employed it he ought not the less to contribute to the public charges 
98. Answer to this objection. I answer first, that in fact, when the capitalist has purchased an estate, the revenue will be equal as to him to what he would have received for his money by lending it. But there is this essential difference with respect to the state, that the price which he gives for his land does not contribute in any respect to the income it produces. It would not have produced a less income if he had not purchased it. This income, as we have already explained, consists in what the land produces, beyond the salary of the cultivators, of their profits, and the interest of their advances. It is not the same with the interest of money. It is the express condition of the loan, the price of the advance, without which the revenue or profits which serve to pay it could never exist. I answer in the second place, that if the lands were charged separately with the contribution to the public expenses, as soon as that contribution shall be once regulated, the capitalist who shall purchase these lands will not reckon as interest for his money that part of the revenue which is affected by this contribution. The same as a man who now buys an estate does not buy the tithe which the curate or clergy receives, but the revenue which remains after that tithe is deducted. 99. There exists no revenue strictly disposable in a state but the clear produce of lands. It is manifest by what I have said that the interest of money lent is taken on the revenue of lands or on the profits of enterprises of culture, industry, and commerce. But we have already shown that these profits themselves were only a part of the production of lands that the produce of land is divided in two portions, that the one was designed for the salary of the cultivator for his profits, for the recovery and interest of his advances, and that the other was the part of the proprietor, or the revenue which the proprietor expended at his option, and from whence he contributes to the general expenses of the state. We have demonstrated that what the other classes of society received was merely the salaries and profits paid either by the proprietor upon his revenue or by the agents of the productive class on the part destined to their wants and which they are obliged to purchase of the industrious class. Whether these profits be now distributed in wages to the workmen, in profits to undertakers, or in interests of advances, they do not change the nature or augment the sum of the revenue produced by the productive class over and above the price of their labor, in which the industrious class does not participate, but as far as the price of their labor extends. Hence it follows that there is no revenue but the clear produce of land, and that all other profit is paid either by that revenue or makes part of the expenditure that serves to produce the revenue. 100. The land has also furnished the total of movable riches, or existing capitals, and which are formed only by a portion of its production reserved every year. Not only there does not exist, nor can exist, any other revenue than the clear produce of land, but it is the earth also that has furnished all capitals, that form the mass of all the advances of culture and commerce. It has produced, without culture, the first gross and indispensable advances of the first laborers, 
all the rest are the accumulated fruits of the economy of successive ages since they have begun to cultivate the earth this economy has effect not only on the revenues of proprietors but also on the profits of all the members of laborious classes it is even generally true that though the proprietors have more overplus they spare less for having more treasure they have more desires and more passions they think themselves better insured of their fortune and are more desirous of enjoying it contentedly than to augment it luxury is their pursuit the stipendiary class and chiefly the undertakers of the other classes receiving profits proportionate to their advances talents and activity have though they are not possessed of a revenue properly so called a superfluity beyond their subsistence but absorbed as they generally are only in their enterprises and anxious to increase their fortune restrained by their labour from amusements and expensive passions they save their whole superfluity to reconvert it in other enterprises and augment it the greater part of the undertakers in agriculture borrow but little and they almost all rest on the capital of their own funds the undertakers of other businesses who wish to render their fortune stable strive likewise to attain to the same state those that make their enterprises on borrowed funds are greatly in danger of failing however although capitals are formed in part by the saving of profits in the laborious classes yet as those profits spring always from the earth they are almost all repaid either by the revenue or in the expenses that serve to produce the revenue it is evident that the capitals are derived from the earth as well as the revenue or rather that they are but an accumulation of a part of the riches produced by the earth which the proprietors of the revenue or those that share it are able to lay by every year in store without consuming it on their wants one hundred and one although money is the direct object in saving and it is if we may call it so the first foundation of capitals yet money and specie form but an insensible part in the total sum of capitals we have seen what an inconsiderable part money forms in the total sum of existing capitals but it makes a very large one in the formation of them in fact almost all savings are only in money it is in money that the revenue is paid to the proprietors that the advances and profits are received by the undertakers of every kind it is their money which they save and the annual increase of capitals happens in money but all the undertakers make no other use of it than immediately to convert it into the different kinds of effects on which their enterprises turn thus money returns into circulation and the greater part of capitals exist only as we have already explained it in effects of different natures end of reflections on the formation and distribution of wealth by anne robert jacques turgot translated by nicholas de condorcet recording by jeff edward dumas